Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. So here we are today, part four. We're closing out a series we've been doing called First. What a great way to start off the year, right? And it's based out of uh, Matthew 6.33, one of the most famous sentences Jesus ever gave uh, in the most famous sermon that he ever gave. Uh, This teaching was so long that what we have written down takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it was just one teaching done by Jesus. And and he's, he's going along, he's talking about all the different things that matter to us, the stuff we need to eat, the stuff we need to have, the stuff we need to buy, the stuff we need for life. And he says, look... Your heavenly Father knows you need these things. And then he says this most famous sentence, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And so that's what we've been talking about. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God? And so if you were designing the series, some of you have probably been kind of doing this in your head. Wonder what they're gonna talk about next week. Wonder what's going on. What would you have put into these four parts of the series? And so, you know, why don't we just start with this, this thought if we're going to talk about where God comes first and we're going to, to come up with like a top four or five, uh, maybe it'd be easier to eliminate something, right? So let's just go ahead and see if we can eliminate some things. What should God not be first in? That was not too hard to answer. Let's try that again. What should God not be first in? Nothing. So we had two dilemmas. Uh, on one hand, we could do this series forever. We get to every week come in and talk about some part of our lives. At the very least, it could have been a year-long series. 52 weeks on the 52 areas of our lives God should be first. Or we could find another way to do it. And that's what we went with. And so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the series was designed from my life, if that's okay. And there's two sides to the idea of it being designed from my life. First of all, I haven't always been a pastor. Common sense, right? I used to be a kid. And then I was a teenager, and then I was a teacher, and I did other things. And so just like every single one of you before getting to this point, at some point, I had to just say, I want to follow Jesus. And for me, that was when I was 16 years old. I was at an FCA retreat, and uh, the truth is I got, I got tricked um, because uh, the guy was just preaching and talking, and he said, how many of you don't want to go to hell? Raise your, how many of you don't want to go? He was real passionate. I'm like, I don't want to go to hell. And he said, good, everybody with their hand up, follow us into this room over here. <laughs> and they, they, I don't know what. But unfortunately, uh, my best friend is on one side of me and my, my girlfriend's on the other side of me and my hand is this high. So I couldn't really do, do one of those moves. You know, I, I, was, I was stuck. But so as I was sitting in that room thinking, I, I didn't know this is what I was signing up for. I, I took a moment and said, but this is what I want to sign up for. I, I really do want to make Jesus the king of my life. And so uh, the series is designed from what comes after that. What did I struggle with the most? What was the hardest for me to put God first in? And what were the biggest things that made me go from someone who went to church to someone who was all in for God? And I know some of you would would want to excuse yourselves from the conversation right now because you'd say, well, Jimmy, of course you've got to go all in. You're a pastor. But I want you to know that I don't see where I'm supposed to be a better Christian necessarily than anyone else as a pastor. 
A pastor is simply supposed to be someone a little further down the road that does know some things and can teach some things and can help some things. I'm just supposed to be uh, someone who can help shepherd other Christians. So there's not a standard of pastors do what the Bible says and other Christians do some of what the Bible says. And so before the idea of becoming a pastor, I had to decide if I was going to be a Christian that put God first in every area. So we designed the series from two things. One was, what did I struggle with the most? What, what did I know made the biggest difference in my life? And then the other side, turn that coin over, is once I became a pastor, what conversations do I have with people the most? Where do I see people struggle the most in their life because God isn't first? Well, Obviously, one of them is in their day. That was part one. We talked about putting God first in our day. I see people whose days are stressed out, frustrated, because they, they submit their day to the world, but they don't ever let God be a part of it. Uh, they don't sit down and get peace. They don't sit, spend some time with God's word. They don't spend some time worshiping him. And they just wake up and they run out the door. They hopefully grab a little bit of coffee and they try to make their day through the world, and then they go to bed frustrated, stressed out, full of anxiety, worry, and everything else, and wait for the next day to repeat that cycle. It just doesn't work. And, and so if we can put God first in our day, we can change how that cycle feels. Then we talked about the second place that we see people struggle, in, and that is simply because God isn't first at all. We don't seek God first. You know, we, we talk about God is our healer. God is our provider. God is the one who has all the answers. God is our creator. When we, we, when we have a problem, when we need something, the first thing we should do is go, God. And so we use that Sunday to kick off our week of prayer and fasting. That's why here at Grace Life, two times a year, once in January and once in August, we take a week and say, God, we need you. We need you first. And we do a week of prayer and fasting. And then in part three last week, we talked about one that was a little out and left field. Most of you couldn't have predicted that was going to be there. But putting God first in our thinking. People who can believe what God says about them and know the difference between what God says when you're thinking up here and what the enemy says, what God wants for your life, what the enemy wants to steal from your life, and people who can actually focus their thinking and their meditation on what God is saying and God's word and godly things and, and that, those are the healthiest, happiest, most fulfilled people in the world. Absolutely, always, every single time. I'll see people with a smile on their face. Hey, how's it going? Well, you know, that thing hasn't changed yet and I've still got this problem and I'm still hoping God will heal that, but man, it, my, my life is good because of how they think. And, and so what is the, the, the next area that we would say goes in at number four? Um, honestly, probably marriage. I, I deal with marriage issues with people more than anything else. It's, it's something that was a long struggle for my wife and I, and, and we've, we've gotten to a great place. We get to help other people now, and, it, and it's a lot more fun living that way. <laughs> so, uh, but then we figured out, we can't say everything we need to say about marriage, putting God first in your marriage in one week. So as I, I've already kind of told you in the series, we're moving that one. And we're going to commit four weeks to marriage and relationships right after we do this series. So at the end of March, come back for that. So what's left? Outside of first in our day, first in our seeking, first in our thinking, and first in our marriage, the number one thing that we deal with is our finances. How many of you knew that was coming? Frank knew it was coming. Some of you knew it was coming. All right, and you're still sitting there. That's good. First in our finances. Uh, this is kind of one of those baffling things when you think about it. I, I regularly hear 
people saying things like, I, I can't afford braces for my kid. I can't afford a vacation. I know I'm stressed out. I know I, I'm filled with anxiety. I know all of this, but I just can't afford to do something about that. I can't afford to take a vacation. I can't afford to get my car fixed. I can't, whatever the story is, there's, there's always that story. Now, here's, here's the thing. We, we all have had that story, but I want to mess with your thinking a little bit this morning because we're probably the richest people in the world. And here, here's the statistic. Some of you are going, eh, that might sound about right. Prove it. Okay, I'm going to prove it. The top 1% richest people on planet Earth have an annual income of $32,400 a year. So there might be a just graduated from college, waiting to start your job next week, ain't got no money kind of person, but I'm going to bet everyone else in this room, your household has more than $32,400 a year. At least like 99% of us do. You know what that means? That means we are the richest people on planet Earth. How can the top 1% of the richest people on planet Earth say, I, I just don't know how to pay for this. I just don't have money for this. And husbands and wives are bickering about where is the money going to come from this. And not only are we the 1% richest people on planet Earth, we're the 1% richest people who claim to be blessed by the God in heaven who provides for us so that we can show the rest of the world that doing things God's way works. Somebody tell me what's wrong with this picture. Well, the truth is, I don't know if we can get all of those answers, but we're going to try to get to some of those answers as we dig a little deeper today in this. But, you know, look, I know talking about money is usually like, oh, I'm going to pretend to go to the bathroom, honey, meet you at the car in five minutes. (laughs) So, uh, been there, done that. I know that. Look, this is the first time I've preached on that. And so anyway, it's it's okay. Uh, Here's my deal to you. Honest, straightforward, here's what the Bible says. I'm going to leave it to you to decide what you want to do. I promise you, we never have, we never will, and we especially will not today pass the bucket twice and tell you to dig deeper. That is not how we operate, never have. I will not ask you to raise your hands anymore during the message. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Where am I? I'm not going to do any of that. I'm only going to ask you if you will open your heart to what the Holy Spirit would say to you. And if you don't want to listen at the end, well, that's fine. And you can just uh, enjoy the next 30 minutes of your life. What does it mean to put God first in our finances? Okay, if I were to actually say, Jimmy, I want to do that, what does that even mean? Here we go, Proverbs 3, 9 answers the question. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You'll see three words underlined because this tells us how we're supposed to put God first in our finances. We honor God. How? With our wealth. What that means is we honor God with what we have and especially as we receive it. So as your wealth increases, that's where the first fruits parts come in. What are first fruits? It's simply the first of everything that you receive, right? Of your increase. And so most of these Bible verses are written sometimes in agricultural type language because that's how they lived. They grew stuff. And what they grew is either what they ate or it is what they traded or it is what they sold to get money to buy something else or to trade. And so it was kind of like their provision and their paycheck. So they had to give the first of their crops. They literally had to give the first of everything. Like the first, if they, if they grew some mint, you know, they had to count their mint leaves. They'd give the first of their mint leaves. They'd give the first of their cumin leaves. I mean, they gave the first of, of everything. And that's kind of how that worked. We now get a paycheck. And so it's supposed to be the first of our paycheck. But first fruits goes beyond that. It also goes to the firstborn. It's supposed to be the first animal that someone, or not someone, y'all don't give animals. 
The first animal that an animal ever has, that first animal belongs to God. It has to be either sacrificed or redeemed. You don't get to use it. You don't, you, it's not yours. The firstborn child has to be redeemed. Let me show you this in Scripture. It says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate means set apart, make it holy. It belongs to me. That's what that word means. So set apart, make it holy because it is holy, because it's mine, all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people, both of man and of beast, it's mine. It doesn't belong to you. The firstborn always has to be sacrificed or redeemed. And here's what I want you to see because this is beautiful. God did this. God did this. God gave his firstborn, he sacrificed his firstborn so that he could have all the rest. You and I are only here because God did himself what he asked you and I to do. He sacrificed his firstborn so that all of the rest would have access to him. Whatever we get, God says to honor him by giving him the first of it. Now that brings up the challenging question. Most people would not disagree with what I just said. The disagreement comes in with, well, how much? How much is enough? How much is enough? So if, if I've got a crop and I honor God with my crop, so let's say that I've got an apple orchard and I'm supposed to give God the first. Do I give God the first apple? Do I give God the first two apples? Do I give God the first 20 apples? Do I give him the first half of the apples? Do I give him the first 75% of it? How much do I actually give God? Anybody got an answer to that? How much is enough? Think about this. When God says, I want you to give from your wealth and from your first fruits to show honor for me, how much is enough to say, I honor the living God? How much is enough? 1%? 20%? 50%? The truth is, all of it isn't enough. There is not enough American dollars. If you could... I just want you to imagine this with me. I need you to go somewhere mentally. I want you to imagine that you, if you did see the movie The Passion of the Christ, if not any other movie you've ever seen, and, and, and with the best image you can in your mind, I want you to imagine Jesus hanging on the cross. And he's, of course, covered in blood because of the beating that they gave him. And they just smashed a thorn uh, of crown, a crown of thorns into his head. And, and he is not in a, a pretty condition. And I want you to imagine walking up to him and offering him American dollars and saying, this is what I think your honor is worth. That's not enough, is it? Is there any amount that we could give? But God answers the question, how much is enough? It's a word called a tithe. In Leviticus 27, it says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord, it is holy to the Lord. Tithe is simply a word that shows up in the Bible. It just means tenth. If some of your Bibles actually just translates it tenth. The first tenth belongs to God. And here's the thing. Most people that I ever teach this to and talk about, they go, 10%? Are you kidding me? 10%? And uh, I used to think that too until I went back to trying to imagine Jesus on the cross and trying to give him something that would show what his death on the cross is worth in my redemption. And trying to think, how much do I put in my hands? How much do I offer that'll say, you're, you're worth this? And when I realized there's no amount that I can give him, I discovered that the tithe is, you ready for this? Merciful. Have you ever thought about it that way? People say, well, God wants the first 10%. That is so much. That is so hard. What if I said, but it's merciful. Because here's what God is saying. You can never give me enough stuff, just so you know. Give me 100% of your stuff, and you've still insulted me. 
Live under a bridge on handouts. Give me your whole six-figure paycheck. Not enough. So the truth is, I'm going to make this simple. It's not about the stuff. It's about your heart. And I'm going to decide that if you will give me 10%, it's going to show me that your heart is honoring me because you're never going to have enough stuff. It's not about the stuff. It's about the heart. I don't know about you, but when I think about it that way, I go, thank God he said 10%. Because he could have said 20. Because he could have said 50. Because he could have said 90. Because he could have said, I'm just testing your heart so I can ask for anything. And he said, I'm testing your heart. So you know what? I'm going to let you keep nine out of 10. Because you need stuff. I know you need stuff. Jesus told you that. He said, my heavenly father is going to give you everything you need. I just want to test your heart. Because you'll never have enough stuff. So what's our response? (laughs) Well, this is really simple. God wants all of us. And God wants to be first in everything. So if God wants to be first in our finances, and if he is not, then the question for you today is, what am I going to do about that? And so every time I preach on this, I do it differently. You'd think that I could just like do the same message over and over again, but but I don't. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you that every single one of us is in one of four groups of people when it comes to why is God not first in my finances. I'm going to let you figure out which group you're in, and and we're going to talk about how to change that. The first group is, well, well, these are the easy ones. Some of us are here. You want to, and so you do. You want to, and so you do. I want to show you something really cool. This is Jacob in Genesis 28. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if, if, y'all hear that? If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. He's actually testing God to see if he's going to be good to him. But I want you to think about this because that's really where he is. You see, there's God in heaven, and he's got people down on earth. And so I know that the Bible, sometimes we haven't all read through it, and it can just get really confusing. I remember when I grew up and going to Sunday school, if somebody said, put these events in order that happened in the Bible, I probably couldn't get them in order. So if you'll allow me, I don't mean to insult you, but I'm just going to kind of like simplify a really big picture for us. Is that okay? Can I do that? So you got God in heaven at the beginning, okay? So imagine before you start, you're at the Bible table of contents. God is in heaven. There are going to be people on earth. How do the people on earth know anything about the God in heaven? He's going to begin to reveal himself to some of those people one at a time. They're going to begin to write it down. And eventually, for you and me, by 2019, we're going to have stories written down where God has interacted with people, where God has actually even written on stone and handed it to people and said, this is what I want. You and I, we have the really cool point. But we're all the way back at the beginning. And we've only seen a couple of humans show up in the story so far, right? We've got God, then we had, we had Adam, and we had Noah, a couple of famous people. And then this guy named Abraham shows up. And so then we get to his grandson. That's where we are. Jacob is his grandson. We do not have the Ten Commandments yet. Moses is not alive yet. No one has gone up on the mountain and come down with the commandments. God has never said, give me a tenth. The tithe has not happened yet. None of that is there. Are you with me? And so Jacob is going, well, you know, this is a, you were Abraham's God, you were my granddaddy's God, and uh, you were my dad's God. Um, and I'm not really sure about you yet, to be honest. That's a whole nother, we've done series on Jacob. There's so much to talk about with Jacob. He said, but I'm not really sure about you, so here's gonna be the deal. And this is literally a deal. He's, he's on a journey when he's actually doing this. And he stopped one night and he says, so if you will take care of me, if you will provide for me, if you will be good to me, and if you will help this, this go well, my life journey, this wasn't like a weekend trip that he's talking about. This was a life journey that he was on and hoping to make it back decades from now, back to his, his dad's house. That, that's what he wanted. It wasn't just a weekend trip. It was, if you will help me on my life, 
journey and end well. You can, you, you can be my God. But you need to understand context. Because every people around him over here, you got the Moabites and they've got their God and you got the Ammonites and you got their God and you got the Canaanites and you got their God. And, and then there's this little guy named Abraham and his son Isaac. And, and, and they're saying, but there's a different God. And as far as Jacob knows, out of the entire earth population, there's only two people that claim to believe in a different God. It was Abraham and it was Isaac, his dad. And, and so Jacob is going, well, you know, there's like tens of thousands of people going, there's that kind of God. And there's tens of thousands of people going, there's that kind of God. And there's tens of thousands of people going, there's that kind of God. And then there's these two people. I think there's you. So if you really are you, and if you really do what they say, you'll be my God too. I, I need you to just understand that was a legitimate decision that he was making. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? He's looking at the landscape and saying, I'll go with what my granddaddy said. I'll go with what my daddy said because he doesn't have the Bible, right? He doesn't have, all he's got is what they've told him. And they say that that God has been good to them. They say that God has made a promise to them. And so Jacob is saying, okay, then you'll be my God. But here's what's funny. He automatically takes the next step. And if you'll be my God, what am I going to do about it? Because you have to honor your God. Hmm. So if you are my God, I'm going to give you a tenth. Before God ever told him to, he simply wanted to. He said, you're my God. You're, you're going to deliver me from everything. You're going to provide for me. You are going to show me powerful upon the earth. What am I going to do for you? I'm going to give you a tenth. Second group. You don't want to, but you do anyway. <laughs> you don't want to, but you do anyway. That might be because you, you live at home and your parents still make you. What did you get from McDonald's this week when you worked? You better give 10%. I don't want to. I'm going to go to the movies. All right, whatever. Or maybe it's, you're a grown adult, but you just still know that when you go to a family reunion, your mom or your dad's going to say, are you tithing when you go to church, young man? I'm, I'm 52, dad. I'm 52. I mean, let me do what I want with my own money. Or, or maybe you're just a person who grew up in church, so you just know it's the thing to do. You've heard the sermon before. You write the check or you do it online. Most people do it on their phones now anyway, whatever. And, and so they, they just, they're doing it, but there's a little something in their hearts going, I just don't know about that. I just don't know about this. And, and all I'm going to say to you, if you don't want to, but you do, is, well, that's a good start. That's, that's the teenager who says, I don't want to obey my parents, but I will anyway, because I know God wants it. It's a good start. That is the businessman who says, I am not going to have an affair with my secretary, even though I am really not doing well with my wife, and I really want to, and I know God doesn't want me to. So because I know what God wants, I'm, I'm not going to do what I feel like doing. So it's a good start to do the right thing, even when your heart's not there. Are you guys with me? But at some point, we've got to deal with the heart. And if you're in that group, I'm just going to challenge you to sit down and ask yourself, with the Holy Spirit, why is it that you know the right thing to do, but your heart has not gotten on board with what God wants? That's a question that only you and the Holy Spirit can ask. Group number three says, you don't want to, and so you don't. Ah, well, you know, I could just, the answer to this could just be because you're human, because that's just what we do. 
I don't want to, so I'm not going to. I do want to. I'm going to have a cheeseburger, so I'm going to have to. I don't want to go to the gym, so I'm not going to the gym. We're just human is what we do. But the truth is, I talk to folks that are in this category a lot, and I run into a couple of the same stories over and over and over. The first story is this. They don't agree uh, that God actually wants 10%. They don't agree with the teaching that God wants 10%. And my first thing to them is, I I could prove you wrong, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to say, okay, cool. Well, then you pick a number. You go home and you look at your budget and you write down the percent that you spend on your car to get you somewhere and on your house to make sure your hair doesn't get wet when it rains and your TV and your steak dinner and and then you compare what you're giving to God and you decide if you honoring you is more than you honoring God and then you just go ahead and do it and then they look at me and go, so 10%, huh? And then, so, you know, people are like, well, you know, I don't have to believe in the 10% because that's Old Testament stuff. Let me show you something Jesus said. In case y'all, I'm not kidding you. Seriously, people don't know Jesus actually addressed tithing. Here's what he said. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because they were the religious people. He said, for you tithe. Mint and dill and cumin. He's like, you, you are literally doing the 10%. You, you brought a mint leaf to church today. You tied mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weight of your matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. They were really bad people. They wanted to look good in front of God, but they were bad people and they were bad around them. I don't know if you know this or not. I'm just, this is for free. This is not in my notes. But if you go back and you study Exodus and all of the commandments that they were given, all of those laws were broken up into different groups And the first time that the tithe shows up, it shows up mixed in with all of the laws about social justice. It's about actually being good to people around us as a way to honor God. Anyway, that was for free. And so he says, these you ought to have done. What what, what are these? Tithe. Jesus just said, these you ought to have done, but without neglecting the others. I I hear people tell me, the last time I preached on this, um, I actually had someone in the audience who told me I took it out of context that Jesus said you should tithe. I took it out of context. I didn't take it out of context because they try to say Jesus was emphasizing the importance of justice. Jesus wasn't really talking about tithing. That was, those were just, that was like a, a throwaway statement. Are you kidding? Wait a minute. The perfect holy son of God said words he didn't mean. You see, actually, there's another passage where Jesus rebukes us and says, we will be judged for every frivolous, idle word we speak. And you're telling me that Jesus spoke idle, frivolous words by saying, well, you should tithe. I don't really mean that. Just hold on to that. What I really mean is, so that's my soapbox moment. Uh, the other argument I hear is, well, you're like, I'd love to, to tithe and honor God, Jimmy, but I can't FedEx a check to heaven. So... I'm going to show you this. It says, the best of your first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. There are multiple scriptures I could read you, scripture after scripture after scripture that says that. And just for the record, everywhere in the Bible that it says house of the Lord your God, it's talking about the place where you worship. So if this were like a court of law, um, you would have zero case to say that you don't know where your tithe goes on earth. Because here's what God knew. We have a mission. We have a mission to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. We've told you 118 salvations last year during services here. That was not under a tree outside. 
It required lights being on, air conditioning being on. God knew from the moment he spoke this that carrying out the mission would always cost money, and he was providing for the mission. The third argument I hear is you've simply seen too much waste or abuse by the church, so you're just not going to do it. You're right. It happens. And as one pastor speaking for many others, I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. I even read an article this past week that angered me. It was about what a church is doing and the way they're spending some money to a point that they got the front page of that newspaper. And, and well, unfortunately, it makes all churches look bad. Here's the truth. I just want you to think about yourself for a minute, whatever you do. Are you a teacher? But you can look in the front page of the newspaper and you can see where a teacher drags a kid down the hall by their hair. Does it mean you're a bad teacher too? Are you a police officer? Somewhere on the front page of a newspaper is an article about a police officer doing something they shouldn't have done. Matter of fact, maybe even killing somebody that didn't deserve to be killed and it was a total mistake. Are you a bad police officer too? So there are some bad church leaders. And there are some churches that handle finances poorly. And I'm sorry for them. But unfortunately, when you and I stand before God, that's not our excuse. Because here's what I'm going to challenge you on. If you don't trust a church and its leaders with money, would you stop trusting them with your soul? None of us have any business to sit in a church week after week after week and let them teach our children and let them teach us and then try to tell God, well, I didn't give them my money because, you know, they weren't good people. That won't hold water when you talk to him, just so you know. Go find a new church. And that, that means leaving this one. If you don't, by the way, we've got open books. You got any questions, come meet with a pastor. Our finances are open to any member of Grace Life anytime. You can find out every, where every penny goes because we've got nothing to hide. Uh, and, and anyway, enough about that. Number four, fourth group of people. Whoo, that was fun, wasn't it? You don't want to. Oh, I'm sorry. You want to, but you don't. This is most of us here today, to be honest. It's the most people that I always talk to. Jimmy, I would love to tithe. I really want to. I just don't know how. This is usually an issue of faith and lifestyle. Faith being this. Some of us simply struggle to believe if we put God first, it's going to work out. If you put God, if you pay God what he says belongs to him, remember he said the tithe was his, it's already his. If you give God what belongs to him, believing that he's going to show up after that and take it, that's a step of faith. Here's what Malachi 3 says, bring the full tithe. I love how he had to actually in the Bible say the word full. I know how y'all gonna do. I'm just gonna go ahead and make this real clear. Full, Malachi, I'm prophesying. Write down the word full when you put this down. Bring the full tithe, which is not, not 9.8, no, not 7, no, 10, into the storehouse that there may be food in, what did we say a minute ago? My house. And thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Matter of fact, I'm going to go a step further. You're not going to have need. You're going to be blessed. And I'm going to rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. And I have seen story after story after story where somebody says, I, the math wasn't there, I put God first, and I got a raise the next week. But I'm going to tell you, I'm not one of those people. That wasn't my story, which leads to point number two. It's either an issue of faith or an issue of lifestyle. You see, in order to give God the first 10%, you've got to stop spending 100% on you because if you're any good at math, that's 110%, and it's just not there. And so what my wife and I experienced, I think the reason 
that we experienced the lack of sudden 10% raise in our paycheck when we started tithing was so that I had authority to stand here and tell you I made the choice. We, we made the choice when, when we learned this, which was, it's really sad. I had already been a missionary. I'd been a Christian my whole life. I was the youth pastor in a church, and my pastor told him this, and I said, huh? 10%? What? So look, I understand. Somehow it just, we just don't get this when we're seven years old. It just isn't always taught. We don't understand it. But we had to make a choice. I was a teacher, and she was a stay-at-home mom, so somebody knows, do the math on how, how lavish our lifestyle was. And the idea of giving 10%, and like I said, because I'm a teacher, the governor doesn't just say, oh, I heard somebody tithe. Let's increase the entire state of North Carolina pay scale by 10%. I was locked into what I was going to get paid. So we had to change our lifestyle. We had to figure out if God is worth 10, that's what he decided, then we're only worth 90. We've got to stop thinking we're worth 100. So look, again, most of us are in the group. You want to, but you don't. So I want to help inspire you. We've got a really great video story. Somebody came up to me about uh, 10 days ago and said, Jimmy, you got to know about this. And so we managed to get that on video just for you guys here today. If you will, turn your attention to the screen. So uh, Ben and Nicole, actually, uh, when I was talking to Ben this week and, and sharing with me his testimony about what God has been doing in your finances, I was really excited because literally one year ago, you guys were not worshiping God together. You were a self-declared atheist at that time. Because of Jesus, your soul is going somewhere different. Your spirit's in a different place. Your, your family's in a different place. You've, you've given God time in your life. You read your Bible, you talk and you pray and, and so much has changed. It only makes common sense that, well, then your finances would have changed at some point as well. Let's hear a little bit of the story. What has God been doing uh, since you've decided to make God first in your finances? So when, when we first uh, declared Jesus as our Savior, we were given a Bible. And in the Bible, in the front pages, it teaches you, or tells you where to go to read about certain things like giving, hope, fear, love. My mind went to reading about giving. So I read every single uh, verse that was under giving. Some people came to the door to sell uh, a cleaning uh, solution. And it was like, I don't know if you've ever seen a commercial, but there's always somebody that's like, they put it on your window and then they show you that there's no streaks or they clean like a grease stain up, but they clean like 10 different things that are not related, but somehow this cleaner cleans it. And so I don't know what drew me to them, but we started, I started to talk to them about God and he started to talk about God. And so they were explaining that if they sold all of their solution, that they would get tickets for them and their families to go to Cedar Point for a weekend. Nothing they said made me feel like we should give the money, but I felt like God told me that we needed to pay them. Like we needed to buy all of their solution. I mean, it was $400. They were like, okay, everything's fine. <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> she pulls me inside and she's like, hey, God's telling me to buy this from them. And I was like, no, God's not telling you to buy this from them. That's not what God's telling you to do. She's like, God's telling us to buy this from them. And I need you to just be on my side and listen. So it's $400, but if you pay with cash, it's 360. So she told me to go to the ATM, I got $360, came back and I just handed it to her, said, you go do this, I'm, this is not, I'm not a part of this. And then like a month later, Nicole comes up to me, she says, hey, God, I feel like God's trying to tell me that I need to go back to school or I need to go to school for Christian counseling for youth because I feel like youth is something that I really have to do. And in the military, your GI Bill. And back in 2011, the Air Force made it to where you could actually transfer my benefits to your dependents. And I did that in 2011. And by doing that, that took away the option for me to get a re-enlistment re bonus now, today. 
So after she told me that, I went to work and I called the or I called um, the office that is in control of the GI Bill and I said, hey, I'd like to get my wife the months that I transferred. I said, well, sir, that never happened. And I said, no, it did. And she's like, no, it was denied back in 2011. And I know for a fact that it wasn't denied. This is where God steps in and, and it's pretty cool because in order for me to transfer my benefits, I'd have to re-enlist. And that gave me the availability of getting the re-enlistment bonus. So we re-enlisted re for four years, boom, right then and there. And because we said, okay, this is all from God, we said right away that we were gonna give 10% of it. Like it's it's his, this is all his, this 36, it's $36,000. Wow, yeah, that's he a lot. He gave 360 to people at the door that I said, no, God's not telling you anything. And then he sort of smacks me in the face a little bit and says, here's 36,000. Thank you for letting your wife listen to me. <laughs> and so that was the easiest decision in the world to give 10% of that to God. And we didn't really understand too much of it yet, but we just said, hey, that's from God, we'll give it to him. After we gave that, Nicole gets put in for a $10,000 yearly raise. Wow. Tithe, 10th, 10, 360, 36,000. Yeah. Then I make Master Sergeant, where I'm gonna get another raise. If we believe in the Bible, we believe in the gospel, we believe in the scriptures, we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we believe that God gave us everything here. Yep. Everything. How can I not give him the first fruits? Yeah. yeah. I wanna thank you guys so much for sharing your story. Uh, like I said, it, it took me way longer than a year and uh, I, I really hope that your story inspires so many other people to say, hey, if I've given Jesus my family, if I've given him space in my home, if I've given him my soul, if I trust him for heaven, that I, I wanna give him everything and I want to invite him into my life and he can have whatever, it all belongs to him. Uh, he saved me, yes. so I live for him now. Yeah, pretty cool story, isn't it? Like I said, it took me a long time. I became a believer at 16 and didn't start tithing for pushing a decade. And that's like many of us. We're grateful we're going to heaven. We believe God forgives. He'll forgive my money spending. We just move on. The problem is many of us are living without that blessing that he promises from heaven. So again, I told you this is no pressure because you getting your finances blessed doesn't help me. So you can do whatever you want today. I, I'm, I'm good. Y'all got that? My wife, we're, we're already on a God, Kent's on a God. I mean, I know some of you are. And, and, and just to make sure you kind of understand how this works, I don't get commission on the number of you that respond to today's message. It, it doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, here's the way we want to help. We said that most people who want to, but don't, it's either faith or lifestyle. You see, the part of the story you didn't hear, Ben and Nicole had already adjusted their lifestyle. They had, they, they decided not to do the Dave Ramsey Life Group, they did the Dave Ramsey Night. They took the DVDs home and they just watched them and then they just changed. They canceled buying his new truck, they scheduled to get out of debt with their house, everything. I mean, they, they had already changed the lifestyle. The only thing left was for God to bless. And then you just heard the miracle story of faith of what God did there. So we wanna help you if you want to put God first in your finances and you've never been able to. And again, this is not between you and us, this is between you and God. On the back of the chair in front of you, you'll see this card, it's called the 90 day challenge. Here's the way this works. If, if you have never put God first, you sign up, fill this out. You can either put it in the offering bucket today or any Sunday that you feel like doing this. You don't even, have, if you wanna take time to pray about it, that's your choice. You can also do it on the app or online, digitally if you'd prefer. And here's the way this works. You give God the first 10% of everything you get for 90 days. And if God does not prove his word true, 
that he'll rebuke the devourer and he'll provide for you. Then all you got to do is say, uh, that didn't work. I want my money back. And we give you every penny back. We don't make you meet with a pastor. We don't make you fill out a form. We don't make you jump through hoops. There's no trick to it. Because all we're doing is what that scripture actually said. It said, test me in this. It's the only place in the entire Bible that God gives us permission to test him. So we're, we're just helping you test God. So if somebody has ever said, I'd really like to, but I'll be honest, I'm not sure God will show up. You're never going to have a better chance because for 90 days, you can get every penny back. It doesn't cost you a penny if God doesn't show up. And if God does show up, you're going to be so glad you're going to want to keep doing it. So it's, it's just our way of helping you test God. It's us extending our faith to you. And uh, once again, if you don't trust the church you're in, go find a new one and do it there. Amen. Earlier, most important decision we talked about was God gave his son Jesus as the firstborn so that he could have every one of us. But some of us have yet to embrace that free gift of salvation. Some of us have yet to look Jesus on the cross and say, thank you that you died for me. I want to live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand up or, or anything like that right where you're seated. I'm just going to help you begin a conversation with him. Would you all join me and pray right where you're seated? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you'd give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.